0: Loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma.
1: It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals.
0: Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today. right. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Arthur Christmas is over, Andy. Christmas is not a time for emotion.
1: This November, the last person anyone believed in. Uh, why is Arthur out there? He's the only one reporting for duty. Yeah. Stowaway. Who can
0: save the holiday? Just stand back.
1: Yeah. It doesn't matter
0: how we got here. Wow. As long as she still believes.
1: Wow. Arthur Christmas. How do you think he's... Uh... Fine, fine. No, not left
0: behind. All right, we're talking about Arthur Christmas. Uh, it, it is. This is the last, the last of our 10-year anniversary shows.
1: Holy cow. 10 films, 10 years ago, just like us. And uh yeah, this was a, a fitting way to end. Again, it kind of throws off the crossover with our Anne Huey series, but you know, it's a Christmas movie. We had to kind of time it a little better. So there it is. Where's your Christmas movie, Anne Huey? Then we could have done it. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> what were you doing
1: in two thousand eleven Anne Huey for Christmas? You know, it's it's entirely possible that Anne Huey has a Christmas movie, but because so few of her movies are actually accessible <laughs> right now, <laughs> would, it's like we wouldn't know. We wouldn't know, yeah. Uh and also she's already
0: had a ten year Christmas or er, ten year movie. We did it last week. <laughs> like, yeah. that was what she was
1: doing in two thousand eleven. So You know, there was anyway. New Year's in that. If we had timed the entire season better, we could have actually put it afterward and then it could have been this for Christmas, that for New Year's, and then the kickoff. But yeah, we didn't time that. We screwed up. Well, you really painted us into a corner just now. We just we just I know. I just screwed mm-hmm. everything up. It was all me.
0: We're we're ending on, an, I think, a an up note with Arthur Christmas, Ardman and a Sony um, a Christmas movie.
1: And this one is a regular at your place, right? This is a regular at our place. Uh, we saw this in theaters when it came out in 2011, and uh, we picked up the Blu-ray, and this thing has played every single year. Uh, I'm not always sitting down watching it with the kids but and so or sometimes it's on like while we're doing other things in the background and, and somebody's watching it but it every year this thing has been on and uh I am okay with that and it's going to be something that I will make sure plays every year even after the kids are gone cuz I I'm just going to say it Pete I'm just I'm letting the cat out of the bag it already kind of was out of the bag but I love it and so there you are <laughs> I'm sorry I ruined your game but
0: I, <laughs> I just I couldn't, I couldn't stop myself you
1: did I'm
0: still going to pretend to be surprised. Please, please do. Um, so uh, it is also, uh, it, it's a favorite around here, but we don't watch it every year. It's We, we already have our annual slate and we haven't we haven 't integrated this into it yet um, and and we missed it in the theater like that was I, I think the big experience we 'll talk about that uh, in, in a little bit, but um I think the theatrical experience as an Ardman film would have been fun um and we just missed it so our first watch wasn 't that big impactful thing it had to it had to be kind of a slow burn for us so uh, over a number of years we 've come to really love uh, arthur christmas and and uh, you know what it means and uh it is uh, i think an interesting bit of
1: just straight-up animation. So, I'm excited to talk about it. Absolutely. Arthur Christmas was rated PG upon its release in uh, 2013. You know, some mild rude humor, but otherwise, it is okay.
0: Mild rude humor.
1: I, I, you know, I just want to say, on IMGb, under the sex and nudity category, mm-hmm. <laughs> can I just read through this list? Sure. It's all listed as mild, but still. We faintly hear that a reindeer tried to mate with a dog. Very hard to hear and not explicit. Two elves briefly kiss toward the beginning. An elf gives Steve a pair of boxer shorts as a present, which makes him feel slightly uncomfortable. There is a brief scene of a small dog humping Arthur's slippers. It is brief and contains adult humor as an elf says, he loves these slippers even more than you do. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That was my favorite.
0: That was possibly my favorite bit of rude humor. (laughs) <laughs> the dog humping the shoe the chihuahua yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that he gave him the shoe <laughs> it's like, it's like you we all know it. what that dog's gonna do with that shoe
1: that's <laughs> 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 uh, pretty good want to watch this movie and help us out well if you see an apple or an amazon link to this very movie in our very own show notes you can click on it and it will take you right to their site and you can rent or buy the movie when you do this they give us a little bit in uh, in from their christmas spirit to us. It's a way we all get to share in the spirit of the holidays. Sharing in the christmas green. That's right. That's right. Uh hey, head
0: over to the merch store at true merch. Andy, do you I mean are you serious when you say that the chihuahua and the shoe should be on our shirt this for uh, this movie? I didn't say the chihuahua and the shoe. I think you did say that. Just I now you said the you reindeer said, no but said,
1: like the reindeer in the in the cone of shame, <laughs> not, the, not the reindeer slipper.
0: <laughs> okay, but after that it says Chihuahua question mark. And what I saw there is Chihuahua in the shoe.
1: Because uh, see, that's funny. Okay. No, I, I I wasn't going there. Mm. You took it to a dark, dirty place. All I'm right, not surprised. Fine. All right,
0: surprised. fine. Uh, head over to truestory.fm story.fm/dnr merch and you'll see the the uh, uh, shirts and logos and stuff that we've put up there for to representing the s- series that we've been talking about and let me tell you what's you know what's really picked up speed over the holidays is rusty the european tour handy yeah i don't wow. i mean who saw that of, coming people of want all that
1: the, sh- the shirts
0: <laughs> they do they want that on the i wasn't expecting shirt. And, that to be the one and the spicoli surf school i'm i'm pleased to say that that uh Spicoli Surf School it's it is one of my favorites and uh that one has also uh, picked up some momentum. Uh I think we will uh will shake it up a little bit uh, after the new year with some new stuff, take down some old stuff. You know, it's time for a uh, rotation. So if, if there are any that are up there now, get them now before they get rotated. They might get rotated.
1: Indeed, indeed. Uh we want to feature audio reviews from you, our dear listeners, send us a 30-second audio file to reviews at truestory.fm. As soon as you watch the movie, we just might showcase your voice on the show. Get them in uh, quick. Uh, We do record about two weeks ahead of the release, so make sure you're sending them our way with time so that we can include it. Again, you just send it to reviews at truestory.fm. Let me tell you what's really exciting, though, is, you know, I mean, you, you ask yourself, Andy, I, I would
0: love to do this, but how would I possibly know what, what movie you're talking about? Because I know you guys record weeks ahead of the actual show being released to the public. How could I possibly know? How could I be expected to read your mind? Well, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do any sort of mind reading. All you have to do is is visit Letterboxd.com slash The Next Reel. That's where we have our watch list of all the movies that we are going to be talking about coming up on the show. And then you can watch ahead if you want. You can pick and choose. You can say, hey, I do want to watch Clueless toward the end of the season. And I know you're going to be talking about that. I'm going to watch it now and send you my review. That's okay. We'll bank it. We'll save it. That's what we do. Uh, Letterboxd.com slash The Next the next reel. And while you're there, there is a risk. There is a real risk that you're going to start playing with Letterboxd and fall in love with it. That's okay. We have, we do, and we want to help you fall in love with it too. So if you fall in love with it and you want to remove ads and you think, hey, I think I'd like to upgrade to the pro or patron membership, all you have to do is click on the little upgrade checkout and use the code next reel. If you use the code next reel, they'll just slash off 20% from pro or patron upgrade pricing. That's fantastic. That's straight up fantastic. You then are supporting the, the team behind letterboxd. And you're also supporting us at the next reel, we get a little taste 20% off use the code next reel, we've even put together the nextreel.com slash letterboxd. If you want a quick, easy shortcut that has
1: the code already applied to it. And uh, by the way, it works for renewals as well. And hey, tis the season. If you want to continue uh, showing your love, showing your support, spreading spreading your, your holiday joy during the season, what better way than by signing up to become a member of our show? If you're familiar with Patreon, a lot of people are very familiar with Patreon, but People may not have heard that Patreon has another platform called Memberful. That's what we use, and it integrates right into the membership platform on our own site. So essentially, you still are becoming a patron of our show. It's just by doing it on our site instead of going to Patreons. Uh, So we would love it if you would consider becoming a member either month to month, or you can do it uh, at an annual rate and get all sorts of goodies. You get access to every episode early all of our episodes drop a week early for members, or or more. We may be uh, shaking that up a little bit. And um, you also get all sorts of bonus episodes. We are doing all sorts of bonus episodes, monthly member bonus episodes. This month, the episode we're going to be releasing, as it turns out, is Jacob's Ladder, because who knew that there is an element of, of a Christmas story. Actually, it's a tie, Pete. We're going to have to talk about this. It's a tie between Jacob's Ladder and Jingle All the Way. Uh, we may have to do... <laughs> A vote and see <laughs> which one we end up covering for our holiday episode. But one of those, maybe both. Who knows? We might be very generous with our what Christmas a double spirit. feature though. Arthur Christmas and, and <laughs> Jacob's Let's Ladder them all the way. Oh, wow. so funny! That's our December member bonus episode. We also uh, do monthly flick chart re-ranking episodes where we actually rank the movies on our flick chart. And this season, we are adding a new members-only episode at the end of each series. And this is Arthur Christmas. This is the end of our series. So the the retake episode is what it's called. It's going to be coming out right after this. That's where we talk about the whole series, what we what we thought of the series, what we thought of all the films in it. And we do some flick chart ranking on that episode as well. And you
0: can be a part of this at truestory.fm slash TNR membership. Most of them cost you five bucks a month or $55 a year to everybody who is already a supporter of the next real family of film podcast. Thank you so much, and if you're considering it this fine holiday season, thanks for that too. What is the meaning of Christmas? That's it. That, that did you did you find the answer in Arthur Christmas? Because I think. I wonder if this is one of those movies where you watch it like the Karate Kid and it it really is more of a Rorschach test of your own personality depending on who you think the protagonist is. <laughs> like are you the kind of person who watches this movie and thinks, "Man, Steve is really getting short shrift." <laughs> <laughs> he just has all the right ideas he's and all, this all great technology and he's so efficient and so many checklists and by the end are you kidding me he loses and his dad puts him in a position of having to admit that he is or having went through family peer pressure that he has to cave to his dad's emotional whimsy and give the role of Santa to this idiot Arthur, is that really that that's the story right i mean that's what you got out of it
1: wow yeah sure i i I love your
0: read it's a lenticular postcard of the christmas emotion
1: (laughs) Or, or 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 grand santa like why why ever give it up just cling
0: yeah, that's right. Grand Santa is that maybe Grand Santa's the protagonist. This is elder abuse. This is a movie <laughs> that tackles elder abuse in a way you never saw coming, that this poor old man was taken out of his taken. His destiny was rent from
1: him uh before he'd even hit his prime. All because of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Because of the Cuban Missile Crisis. I, I, I have a question about that. And I know we're off on a, a start here. But, um, okay, so Grand Santa retired 1941, which was the first year. Uh, well, on the on the paintings, okay, two things. He says 1941, World War II, he did it all, blah, blah, blah. He has this whole little story there. 1941, on the the painting, the portrait of Malcolm, up on the wall at the very beginning it says he started in 1941 so i guess that technically means that is that just because he took over as soon as grand santa retired and so yes. he started in 1941 but his first christmas really was 1942 yes yeah that that i believe is- i wasn't sure because he says it was his 70th christmas and yeah that means he would have had to start in 1941 yeah that that is my understanding is that those pictures are all about time in job. But Grand Santa did it in 1941 because it's because he celebrated his 70th Christmas. And so, but you're are you saying the question is
0: is this when he says I'm celebrating my 70th Christmas that that's how old he is?
1: Well, let's see because 40 because if his first Christmas was 42, right? Uh-huh. Then his 70th Christmas would be in 2012. OK, the future. So this this film takes place in the future. That's all I'm trying to figure out. Like what? But only by only by a year. Well, hey, it's the future. Are you differentiating futures? <laughs> <laughs> Santa Cinematic Universe. That's right. That's one thing. OK, so that's the, my first thing. But okay. then also he says that, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis, that's when he took the sleigh out. He'd already been out uh, of uh, Santa circulation
0: Se- for 20 years.
1: And- and, and and Dad or Malcolm's doing it. Uh, Grand Santa goes on a, a run during Cuban Missile Crisis, almost starts World War Three. And Steve tells him that he he takes his sleigh away. You're not allowed to do it anymore. But that means Steve was around. <laughs> yeah, that long ago. I know they live old, but it just seems like that's a really long time for him to be watching his dad in the driver's seat. Because what did what did Grand Santa say he was 136? 136. Okay, so he's
0: 136. That could make Steve, what, 30,
1: 40? During the Cuban Missile Crisis or now? in During the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like t- maybe 20? Maybe he's 60, 70 now? Well, maybe, I guess. I mean, because he'd also have to be in a role where he could actually take stuff away from Grand Santa. Right, because Steve would already have been in a role of managing Santa. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying... It seems very early for for Steve to be, you know, doing stuff like that. Yeah, that was a little much, but maybe that's part of the story.
0: Like maybe that's part of what we're supposed to get out of the story that that his that this really is elder abuse. Steve has been abusing generations of Santa before him <laughs> for years. Wow.
1: Yeah. This is a darker story than I ever gave it credit. For. I know. I know. That's what I worry about what you're teaching your kids. And was was grand grand santa still around like maybe through steve's actions with grand Mm -hmm. grand santa he put him in an early grave i mean how long do santas live really
0: i think it's great i think you can say great grand santa i don't think you say grand grand santa
1: uh i how do you know like are you a santa (laughs) do you know do you live at the north pole (laughs) I I think that I think that kind of works. Although, and, and this
0: may go into what I think is uh, is actually a real treat in the movie at how well it celebrates global Christmases. But let's be sure we understand that when he goes out for his joyride in 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis was in October, right? Well, he didn't go out at Christmas time. He just went out. He just went out. That's what we're getting. Okay. Yeah. I missed. So his joyride was not a holiday, like a specific no. Christmas joyride. It was
1: just if an interesting. Yeah, he just wanted joy to take ride. Evie out for a spin. Mm. Okay. That's my recollection.
0: Well, have we figured out the Santa math to our satisfaction? I mean, can we do we move on?
1: I, I'm just, <laughs> can we move on? I, so what I'm, I'm checking <laughs> something because now I'm really curious. So he was Santa from 1902 just just to be clear we're not moving on just so everybody listening knows we're not moving on yeah he was santa claus the 19th he was santa from 1902 to 1941 and so he was born in uh what was it so 2011 uh, you know i don't know why i'm going off on this tangent he's 136 he was born in 1875 02 to 41 so he was he was a santa for
0: only 39 years 38 39 years seasons
1: yeah yeah, thirty nine years, and he was uh he was born in eighteen seventy five. Okay, if he's one hundred thirty six years old, so he started when he was twenty seven, twenty seven years old. Okay, as Santa. All right, so that means that Malcolm, assuming that, oh, I don't know, maybe he started early. Again, I don't know why I'm going off on this crazy tangent, but there are a lot of people who wonder that. Nineteen forty one minus twenty seven. So 1914-ish is around when he was born. So I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I'm just, I'm curious about this thing with these Santas. Like, if they, if they start too young, are they, do like, do they prematurely grow their white beards? Like, if he starts too young, does he have a brown beard? <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Uh, that is an interesting thing. Yeah.
0: Like, I wonder when Steve's Christmas tree goatee turned white. <laughs>
1: I really want, every time I watch this, I'm like, you know what I want to do this year? I'm going to grow out my my scruff, and then I'm going to shave a Christmas tree goatee, because I think it's one of the, the silliest but coolest things. I love it. It's yeah, hilarious. I think so too. Uh,
0: welcome, everybody, to Arthur Christmas Minute by Minute, <laughs> the movie minute podcast of Arthur Christmas. Uh, okay, I think we're okay on Santa Age Math.
1: And yeah, I, the think, Cuban yeah, missile I think crisis. we're fine. Let's move on. But how old is Arthur? And how old? <laughs> I want to know how old Arthur and Steve are. <laughs> all right. All right. Moving on.
0: They, they do not have their portraits up. Uh, they don't they, have their portraits up yet. yet so I, we don't I'll know. bet Arthur is, is in his 20s. Do you think? I think Arthur's in his 20s. I think he's played in his 20s. And I think Steve is probably in his 60s.
1: <laughs> Steve has to be old enough for the Cuban Missile Crisis to have been leading. Oh, God, you're right. He's, he's got to be in his 70s.
0: Yeah, he's old. He's an yeah. old man. Well, and that's why he's so bitter. And I think that's yeah. actually a great—that's a great point because See, Steve. I was
1: building to this. You, this <laughs> is where
0: <laughs> all I intentional. Think, I think it's a great point because Steve is so bitter about the fact that he's been overlooked year after year after year that he's prepared his. How many years running do you think he's prepared his speech and his little cards? Not and, just his
1: speech, but the banners, the balloons. the balloons.
0: Yeah, I mean, he went to town. Yeah, he really did and and he had his little um his little christmas Jungen com- elf compatriot uh who uh <laughs> runs his show for him who uh you know was his his little lackey, uh probably that you know peter? already please don't use that word around me um <laughs> he uh already has his uh, all probably already has his you know his silverware embossed with you know all hail Santa, like everything is is probably updated
1: already for Steve. yeah, I liked the I liked the boxer shorts that that Peter gave him that A said, little yeah, because it, it says in Santa, we believe everywhere, and the, and the boxer shorts say, "In Steve, we believe <laughs> <laughs> I should get I mean. those for my dad. I really should that's what we need in Steve, we believe boxer shorts <laughs> <laughs> definitely in Steve, we believe shirts at a minimum, Andy. <laughs> oh, write that down. I'm scrolling. Oh, so In good, Steve. We so believe good, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's that's a, it's it is actually a really interesting, um, I concept for the story of turning Christmas, turning this whole concept of Santa and everything into this like essentially like a, a hereditary. Uh, your family that that actually is running the show up there all of these centuries, and that it's—I mean—it's kind of like you know, it's like a, a British system or something, right? You've got yeah. the one who leads, and then it passes off to the to the next in line, and it's a really interesting kind of setup that they've created here. And that's one of the things that I love about the story is that we have this 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 line of Santas who have been running it all of this time. And that we're at this particular point where we have one of the sons who's really into kind of the technology and efficiency and and making everything go as smoothly as possible. And then you have the other son who is just who's in it because of the passion of the season and and the joy it brings him and the joy that they bring to all the kids of the world. And so that's, I think, what I really love about the film is that you get this this interesting kind of crossing of lines of the world of santa you know and and it's fun to kind of watch how it all takes place and uh, you know you watch the beginning and you see the efficiency and the planning and you get that on-screen data throughout the film about the time and the where they are and all of this sort of stuff and then you watch as you know I, i love that whole sequence at the beginning when you see the the S1 stop over a town and go through the delivery process so you really see how they you know deliver gifts uh, in one night and i just i have so much fun watching like these parts of the film because it really i don't know it just makes for a fun experience to see all these elves in action uh, doing their work
0: yeah and and you know it's one of the better movies animated or not that purports to deal with to answer the question how is this possible? Right. Like, how yeah. can we make what so many cultures around the world, you know, believe and teach their kids? How do we make this possible? And, and I think that's really special. Like, just, uh, and, and to do it in a way that is as sort of modern and practical as we can kind of do it. And, and yes, it involves a spaceship. <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, but, that it involves, you know, elves, elf teams, um, a million elves that that have 18 seconds per house to get all the things. To, I mean, the, just breaking it down to the math and when Santa, you know, is is delayed because they have a waker that affects their per house Time, right. <laughs> uh, which I think is just so—it's just brilliant and and satisfying. Uh, you know, the mechanics underlying this thing, uh, I think, are are really very special. That they they're trying to answer this question: Does this thing work? And at the same time, they maintain that sense of fantasy and and mystery and and belief through you know through by way of Arthur um, that that christmas is something more than just efficiency and 18 seconds per house um and and i think that's you know that for me is where so much of the conflict in the story is and that that's what makes it fun to 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 sort of process with the family yeah so uh, do you do you like most important do you like the s1 best of all spaceships and sleighs in the Venn diagram, where spaceships and sleighs
1: of all spaceships—that's that's a that's a stretch. Of all sleighs, sure, it's 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 a uh, pretty uh, freaking awesome. Although I've got to say, what Evie can do with like the disguises and everything—that's pretty fun. Like when it turns itself into a train and it's flying through the sky. Like that cracks me up. Like I I like those elements that they do. And when it turns into a UFO, like there's some really funny bits with EV. But no, there are some funny bits. S1 top notch, and
0: I there are funny bits. But the S1 is a straight up like it. It is. A, it has straight up like camouflage. That's like legit. I the I, the S1 is the canonical true
1: sleigh. Now I think the <laughs> EV is is junk by the time Eevee, the it, Eevee is not junk. Eevee is an antique. There's the you gotta use the right words. Yeah, it belongs it belongs in a museum. <laughs> no, I love the S one and I I love the whole concept, the way that they like really found a way to play around with that and, yeah. and do something a little more unique with it. And it's very fun and great moment at the very end with the S one. I love it. And that the manual must be so good. <laughs> That mom, grandma could just take out the manual and learn to fly the spaceship. <laughs> that is so good. Well, let's be honest. That's that's you know, women are better at that, that anyway than than men. You know, they they pull one of those out like men. Men try to do it without ever looking at those. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it's on point. Yeah.
0: You were saying. All right. It's also a story of fandom. And that's one of the things that I like so much uh, uh, about Arthur as a character is that they they play Arthur as this guy who is like the last guy to remember what it means to be the most passionate about this thing. After the passion has been subsumed by commerce, right, by business and I think the way, like McAvoy's performance of this character is so innocent and loving and chaotic, uh, that, that it's easy for me to, to find a home in him in just in the first recitation of, of his letter writing, you know, when he's, when he starts talking about how, that way Santa can get all the way under the, the world without being in sinner. Uh, he can make it all the way around the world. <laughs> it's just great. It's just great, great, great that that he, you know, he what it means to believe inside a system that looks at belief, you know, with a bit of a jaded eye, uh makes this character I think really special.
1: Well, not just him. I I I agree with everything that you're saying about him and 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 all of that, but what I, what I also really love is the way that they do that with the elves and the elves They're definitely fans of the Santas as a family and kind of love being able to support this system to do what they can – but but I love what happens, like when that system they think it's it's falling apart and the elves just like can't handle it. And the, the, some of my favorite bits in the film are when the elves are just like they feel completely lost because they <laughs> think the Santas don't care anymore. And they're like, I mean, there's this whole thing that I wrote. Uh, or I, I kind of transcribed from the um uh when the elves go to talk to Santa because they find out one one gift has been left one child has been forgotten and they go talk to santa about it and uh and santa's just like well steve said it, you know it really it you know it doesn't matter we'll we'll get it next time and they're like it doesn't matter and like it's it's like it breaks their brains and then they're in the a mission control talking to Steve and you just hear this banter of the elves as they're trying to figure it out and they're like he's crazy is there a list of children who don't matter santa <laughs> said they don't matter 100% is it true children aren't real that they're just antimatter <laughs> it's like <laughs> the elf banter oh my god is so funny and just the, especially like when they decide they think all the santas have have left and so they <laughs> They put the whole compound down as uh, as self-destruct in 10 minutes, and it's just... uh.
0: But what's so great about that is they... And this was a joke that hit me so hard, both that it was, to me, funny, but also double so that I missed it coming, that they set the place to meltdown. And the meltdown was actually the giant ice sculpture of Santa <laughs> in the middle of Mission Control. Absolutely destroyed me. I was crying.
1: It's <laughs> <That's> a literal, <laughs> like literal meltdown.
0: was so literal that, uh, that it was a... now to the credit of the, the screenplay, which I think is is fantastic. There are pieces of this film that feel like Sorkin wrote them, like the overtalk, the walk and talk dialogue. The introduction for me of Arthur to Mission Control is just a freight train of wonderful throwaway lines leading to Arthur being kind of thrown away himself in this conversation. It is much more adept, I think, screenwriting than
1: maybe it deserves to be. Do you agree? I, I, I don't know that maybe it deserves to be. I mean, I think that's one of the joys of it is that they actually were, you know, had a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I don't want to call it like a smart screenplay, like, uh, you know, Death of Stalin, something like that, where it's like, it's it's very, there's a lot of clever writing going on in it that feels very kind of designed for the concept of the story and everything. It's, I mean, I, I, well, maybe maybe it's fair to say this is smart writing, but at a at a level that's more, uh, you know, appropriate for kids or yes. something, you know, like yeah. it's and, and to that end, there's a Pixar ish level.
0: Well, and it's appropriate that you bring up Death of Stalin because you bring up Death of Stalin because Sarah Smith worked for years on Armando Iannucci stuff. Like that's s- like, yeah, right. this is like that.
1: There is legacy of dialogists here that I, I think work really, really well. And, and listening to some of the actors talking that like bill nye said you know he got the script and it was just so smart and clever and and like he instantly wanted to be on it and so it is one of those things where you hear some of the the patter that's happening and and also just like the, the way that stuff gets called back over and over like it's just it's it is a very smart script like the bits with Bryony where she first says there's always time for a bow and like <laughs> and the way that that kind of keeps coming back i'm just like oh my god like by the time that arthur's doing it i'm like, I'm in tears. It's like, oh my God, it's so good. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think that's, you know, watching it with my, um, with my son who's, you know, recalcitrant teen at this Mm. point, he's like, yeah, you know, we took a, he took a a bathroom break in the middle of the movie. He's like, yeah, you know, I kind of expected something, you know, funnier. Oh, I know. And then by the end, he's like openly weeping. He's like, I had no idea this movie would make me cry. (laughs) perfect perfect but that's a smart awesome. screensplay that makes you that yeah. makes you do that like that, that that i think can can it's a sneaker it's a sneaker
1: yeah and it's 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 one that i'm i i feel like i don't know if people have expectations with santa films because i feel like when this came out there seemed to be some people who just were like ah you know santa in a in a kind of spaceship delivering presents that I don't know, that seems a little silly. And that seemed to be like when it, it was, I don't remember any reviews or anything talking about that, but it's more just talking to people and their expectations and why they weren't going to bother seeing it. It's like, it looks like, you know, some silly thing like Santa, like the whole thing is like this militaristic, like the way that it's run. And it just, they seemed to have no interest in that. And it's interesting because I, I feel like, it ended up catching on and because like Disney did that whole prep and landing of kind of those short things, which was about elves that very much has a very similar sort of vibe with the way that it's the elves who are kind of handling things. And so it's, I, I guess it was a thing like elves in control or elves are really like the, the team that's getting everything done. Santa's kind of the figurehead. In this particular film, they really make Santa the figurehead. Like, watching, uh, you know, Santa, when Jim Broadbent, like, lands on the roof, and he's just, like, so clueless, and they have to, like, guide him along. Okay, this way, <laughs> Santa. Okay, left foot, right foot, as he's going down the ladder, and, like, trying to get him to put the present. They have the whole thing set up to drop the present in the right place, like a little target for him, so he knows where to put it. I mean, it was hilarious. And, and so, playing that up, I, I thought was... Uh, A very fun way to kind of like create this this uh, style of of uh, of Santa story. Well, so the Santas
0: in in this case, we've got uh, Jim Broadbent and Bill Nye and um, Steve pre Santa as uh, played by Hugh Laurie, three incredible British performers, actors, comic actors. Uh, as a subset of their dr- incredible range, these gentlemen, all together, um, it, it it creates, I think, uh, just sort of a perfect storm of heart and comedy in their voices. I absolutely love them. When Steve at the end—I mean, all of their wonderful banter aside—when Steve at the end, in his exchange with with Broadbent's Santa— uh, you know, you deserve to be Santa, Steve. But I wonder if Gwen is right. Oh my God, Andy! Uh, I'll be the candle. A, eh? yeah. Just it's just a wrecking ball. Yeah. Sequence. Yeah. That they play together. Those those uh, characters. And and I think McAvoy as sort of the youngest pre pre Santa as Arthur. The the four of them together make for a wonderful collection of men uh, experiencing vulnerability in a movie about emotion and the spirit of christmas and these guys who have sort of forgotten how to how to how to live that and how to love what they do and love each other as a result of it and um and and i think that that makes it so much more touching um, to have the four faces in that closet at the end. It is. It, it just couldn't be a more perfect emotional
1: peak. It's so good. Yeah. And it's all because Santa didn't retire early enough. It's because he, he clinged. He because he clinged. Yeah. Yeah. I just have to say, when you're talking about all the great British voices, Michael Palin also pops up as the really old elf who comes in to use the old System to communicate with the sleigh. And, you know, it's it's not a part that, like, is a call out for Michael Palin or or anything, but just in the fact that, you know, you're calling out these great British voices that they bring in, and the fact that they get Michael Palin to come in just to do that little part. And, you know, that's what I love. Another thing about this film is that they bring in so many amazing voices for these small parts, like... Melda Staunton plays Mrs. Santa. You've got Laura Linney as the North Pole computer voice. I know. <laughs> um which is just cracks me up. Well, and Ashley Jensen as Bryony is oh,
0: fantastic.
1: Ashley, she's that's my favorite of all of them. Like her Bryony's, that character is such a such a joy and just the passion for wrapping gifts. And when she's wrapping the bike as they as they're trying to get to Gwen's house, it's <laughs> just because she's like, I could do it in three pieces of tape. Like just oh, I just loved it. So great. Um, but yeah, then like the lead elves, you've got like Robbie Coltrane, Joan Cusack, Reese Darby, Jane Horrocks, Andy Circus, Dominic West. I mean, all these incredible uh, British performers coming on yeah. just to do like, you know, a voice of an elf. Yep. Like, which one? I don't know. You're one of the hundreds, but I love that you're I love that they're doing that. Robbie Coltrane, so
0: Robbie Coltrane, yeah. Joan yeah. Cusack,
1: <laughs> Reese Darby. This is a, it's an amazing collection. Really is. The only person who I feel like really uh ends up getting short shrift if anyone does, it's uh Eva Longoria who plays the uh Chief De Silva, the person at the um uh at the the military base where they're tracking Santa trying to destroy uh or they think it's an alien trying to destroy Christmas. And so that's that's the one voice I'm like, meh, you know, I, I don't know if it's just her like the the part or her, but it's like the one of the less impressive Voices in the film.
0: Yeah, I, I, that does stand out. It it's it's sore thumbs a little bit. No disrespect yeah. to Eva Longoria. I think she's she's a, a fine actor in her own right. It just stands out. <laughs> a bike and a squirrel. Ow! <laughs> 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 uh, these little moments that yeah, come slamming back
1: to me. This was you. You saw this in the theater. You said. Uh, Yes, yes. And I was talking to my wife because it comes up at the end credits, like the 3D, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I wonder, do we see this in 3D? I just, I don't recall. I I certainly went through phases where like everything that we'd see, if it was 3D, we'd watch it in 3D. So it's entirely possible I saw this in 3D at the theaters. Um, But yeah, we definitely saw it in the theater. And uh, yeah, it just, like I said, this instantly became something that uh, was kind of a holiday classic for us. And uh, yeah, I just... It's a it was a you know great theater experience and definitely one to continue watching.
0: Where do you stand on this as an Ardman film? Because Ardman has a lot of baggage when it comes to and I, I don't mean that negatively like it just comes with a lot of stylistic baggage like you see ardman film it has a it has a look it has a feel and i know uh, sarah smith the, the director she said you know the the character design was a real challenge for us on this project that we wanted these characters to look unique but not nick park style we wanted it to feel like it was coming from ardman but not be so much of a direct homage to you know a, an Ardman sheep movie or something like that, you know? What do you what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, it was uh, it, it I I know that that was something that caught my eye when I saw the trailer and I'm like, "Oh, Ardman, I definitely want to watch it." Like I it, I would just see that name and I would want to see it regardless of whether they were doing their CG films or if it was uh stop motion animation. Like just seeing their name for me uh meant there was a step up in quality. And so I was totally you know, on board with the name, the fact that it is an Ardman film. I, I, I don't think it stands out as um, anything where, what was the other one they did? That was the CG. Was that flushed away? Hmm. I think it was flushed away. A yeah. 2006 computer animated adventure comedy. And I think that was the first one that they did um, because I don't feel like they've done a lot of CG, like trying to find that line between we're art man. We do stop motion animation, but hey, we're gonna start doing some uh, CG stuff because you know it's it's what the kids want, sort of thing. Like I'm thrilled that they're doing it. I I think flushed away. It was probably just the story itself that that kind of made that one a little more uh, stick the landing but like this one like I, I think the characters do have kind of that like funky design feel like just their faces are kind of funky shapes uh the elves have kind of these little little round heads with funky haircuts uh, like i enjoy the style that they came up with for this and and so in the end i guess there's something that feels ardman-ish like for me it doesn't break it for me if a stop motion animation company decides to do something else like um like cg like i don't know what what, what's your thoughts like if all of a sudden like said hey we're going to do our first cg film how would how would that make you feel
0: well i i wonder how like 10 year ago pete would have felt about it because 10 year ago pete had like manifested strong opinions about things that didn't really matter that much and so, <laughs> uh, today, Pete, I, I think wouldn't have a problem with it at all. Is the story any good? Like, is is it is it a fun movie? Are they telling a, the the story in a way that really leverages the assets of the platform and of the technology? Uh, in this case, I had I, I had very few questions. Uh, about the actual technology and the, the technological presentation of the film um there were occasions where i felt like some of the elf characters eyes were a little dead like there there some of the elf models might not have been quite as as uh, emotive as you know what they what they're capable of today right i mean they just things have come a long way in terms of making cg characters that are are uh, emotionally believable and uh, but i i didn't this didn't didn't stop me. If Leica were to come along and say, "We're gonna, you know, we're gonna now start doing all CG movies," are they still gonna make good movies? Th- that's really the the bigger question, I think. For for today, Pete, I would struggle a little bit. I think if they're gonna make CG movies, but just try to make them look like stop motion movies, right? Because they already use so much CG to augment and refine the movies that they're making. But if they were to just say whole cloth, we're going to create digital characters and they're going to, we, we want to manufacture a stop motion look without doing the stop motion technology. I would simply ask why, why would you want to, why would you want to do that necessarily start from scratch with completely dig- digital characters? Like what's the fun in it? Um, you know, do something new if you're going to do that, I, I guess, don't you think? I mean, that's like leverage the strengths of, Whatever technology you're using, I think this movie does a great job of creating characters and voices and scripting that feels to me at home as an Aardman production, Uh, you know, maybe to the point that it could have been as easily at home in as a DreamWorks production, which is a controversial time in their relationship. Flushed
1: away ended that relationship because it underperformed so drastically right um I mean it's it's it is interesting I and yeah I'm I'm glad that they didn't try to do and that's something we like flushed away I felt like they almost were trying to do kind of a CG but make it feel a little bit like Pardon like me. stop motion yeah it wasn't quite uh it, I mean it, it wasn't quite like this looks like stop motion but yeah it's like I just don't feel like that worked. And and also the scope of this film, like they wouldn't have been able to create thousands of elves with stop motion. I mean, that, that that's just like so many things that they would have to print and move and it would be very complex. So I feel like this was a good step up to kind of keep kind of the, the feel of the character design, but allow it to live in this world. Although it is interesting. This is the last time that they have done anything CG. Like, I feel like maybe, you know, those two films, they're like, lesson learned, let's stick with what we love and know, because the four films they did after have all been uh, stop motion. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. And in fact, I, Sarah Smith hasn't done a whole lot since then.
1: She's busy in all sorts of things, but not so much film like Feature she did. Film, right. Yeah. she uh, Her new movie's out right now. My son really wants to go see it. It's called uh, Ron's Gone Wrong which looks very cute, very fun. And and knowing her style and, like, the dialogue and everything else that she does, like, there's something now I'm more intrigued to actually go see Ron's Gone Wrong. Like, oh, maybe there's more to that one than I had originally uh, thought. So, and, and again, she, she co-wrote that script also with Peter Batem. so the two of them together. So, uh, we've had some conversation going on in our uh, chat over in Discord with uh, some of the members who are in there uh, talking about the... How Ardman really has always struggled uh, with the box office here in the states. It certainly is a a bigger um, a bigger company in the UK, but you know it's interesting because I would say Leica also has kind of had a hard time with their stop motion stuff. I mean, I I really like what they do, but it's I don't know if any of them have really taken off. You know, I wonder. It, do you think it's a stop motion thing? I don't know. That's not a bad assumption, but now that you say that, I need to look at
0: Leica's. Re- refresh myself on like a stuff because you know you have to i i wonder if who they're making things for you know what i mean like who who is their real audience even if you go back to like Paranorman, but right. like kubo and Coraline, those are movies that always resonated with my older self and older kids more than younger rigorous empirical
1: research i'm doing here I'm talking about a very small audience. Looking at their box office, I mean, they they were involved in Corpse Bride, Coraline, Paranorman, Box Trolls, Cuba, and the Two Strings, Missing Link. Uh, Box office, like, I mean, their domestic box office, uh, the biggest one was Coraline, 75 mil, uh, but they never, uh, the rest of them are about 50 or under. Missing Link, 16. Yeah. That was a complete bomb. Worldwide, they do a little better, but still um Coraline was the top there at 126 mil. So I mean, I, I don't know. Is it just maybe it is a stop motion thing? Like I think there's a a contingency of fans who love stop motion, but maybe it's just something that people are like less interested in seeing. I don't know. It's a niche. It very much is yeah. a niche. Very true. Yeah.
0: But but you know, I mean, box trolls. It's one of those things. Box trolls feels like such a international flavor. You know what I mean? Like it just feels like, like it's meant to be watched in an art house, and lacks that sort of broad appeal thing. It just feels that way. Even like now, it it feels like well, it' not a mainstream
1: movie. Yeah, they all feel. They all kind small. of feel that way. They feel small. yeah,
0: very true. Which is a real shame because you know, local team. Shout out to
1: shout out to my homies. Yeah, you know, well certainly I would say the same for Artman. Like yes. I feel like their stuff, especially like the Wallace and Gromit stuff, that feels so specific to kind of that UK uh kind of culture. And yeah, I mean they have done these these projects that have, you know, expanded larger, but in a sense, they still have kind of that that local flavor. And uh, even with this, with such a heavy British uh, kind of you know, as we were talking about, kind of that fantastic cast of the Brits, uh I mean maybe it just keeps it from you know being something that appeals for whatever reason to to a broader audience. I don't know. It's 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 very peculiar, but yeah, I I definitely wish that Ardman and Leica, for that matter, could find ways to tap into culture like pixar for example
0: yeah right well exactly what a great point and and so i i think for me when i watch all of these, you know, these like I'm just scrolling through Leica's website and watching them and their meticulous attention to detail on these puppets and um, you know building these universes and the street for Paranorman and the just every individual string on you know the um, in in Kubo, um, it, it's all so beautiful and I, I worry. That, you know, even for myself, like the reason I watch and get so much joy out of those things is first and foremost, because I appreciate the attention that goes into making the thing. And, you know, would there have been for them an easier way to tell those stories that would be more, um, you know, broadly accessible? Um, you know, is it, is it just that I love watching people sculpt things that I like these movies and that I can keep in the back of my head how hard it is to make these movies that makes me like the movies so much? I don't think that's necessarily true of something like Paranorman. We're big, we're big fans at of, of Paranorman. We've talked about it on the show. It's a fantastic movie. But, you know, of all of the movies, that one seems to be the, the most accessible. But did you see Missing Link? I I I didn't see you're part of the problem. I am part of the problem. Of course, I'm part of the problem. And you know what? My son has said number of times. He said, "We got. I'm going to pick the missing link." And I, I for some reason always find something I would rather watch. Wow. I know. I'm part of the problem, and I love Studio Leica. Like I love it. What's weird is that when I think of the missing link, I think of an Ardman film. Like I probably would have missed that on a trivia question right now.
1: Well, I mean, it it was definitely was the their. Their biggest flop, and I hope they're able to kind of continue afterwards. So, did you love it? What did you? Was it five star heart for you? Uh, I thought it was fine. No, it it was fine. You know, I I it never captured my imagination as much as I wanted it to. I still thought they they made an interesting story, but you know, it just it's yeah. It was it's the only one that I haven't purchased. Like I rented it, and I'm like, eh, okay, that was enough, and that's kind of where it sits. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay,
0: one little bit. Back to this movie, uh, one little bit uh, on the history backstory. Peter uh, Bynum (laughs) apparently called Sarah Smith and said, I've got this idea. Here's the idea. And it describes the entire concept of the movie. And in that initial concept, he also tried to sell the idea of a key villain. And the key villain was an elf called General Antler, who apparently wanted to make all the reindeer into burgers, and that it ended up being the story of Arthur not only trying to save Christmas for the world and save the spirit of Christmas for his family, but literally save the reindeer from this maniacal villain, General Antler. And in her interview, she's talking about this. She says, I think Peter actually used the word drip tray. In which they would, we would, we would have to use the drip tray to catch all the blood and viscera in the barn. Oh my God. And I love that interview so much. Uh, but I present to you, Andy, would this movie, in terms of your armchairing, would this movie have been better for you had they gone Peter Bainum's route and actually included a more clear, defined villain?
1: In the movie, you know, I was talking, uh, you know, about the member bonus episode and uh, my joy with uh, Christmas horror films, and how I was hoping we could go that yeah, route. You kind of leaned in. <laughs> the, I mean, we're certainly we're certainly going that route here. I can't imagine that working. In in a film for the family, uh, it's interesting that uh, that Peter wanted to go that route. I can't help but wonder if he's secretly plotting a sequel to, to bring General Antler into the fold at some point and uh, take this story in a different direction. And it actually is
0: the character, the elf Peter, who was already leaning a little bit too uncomfortably close to Nazi uh, in this movie. And... <laughs> there there may be a whole nother
1: new story that we need to explore. Wow. Crazy. <laughs> that is interesting. It's
0: so dark. So dark, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on with us?
1: Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, you know, the, the story, the things that they did end up capturing, the, just a few other things. Um, I know we need to wrap the show up, but a few other things that I really did enjoy is the way that, they, they found a way to kind of tie in Christmas uh, traditions wherever they went and how, when they went, you know, from the, I think we first see them in Denmark and then they go down to Germany and it's a whole they like they, the program changes so that, Oh, it's not stockings. There's going to be shoes and like the whole thing shifts. And it's like, God, that's really clever. And it's a fun way to kind of incorporate this. And, and that's, I, and I know later in the film, um, uh, uh, uh steve has a line about how he's you know how he's modified everything to make sure that they're capturing all of this stuff with uh with all the different places and i just i i really Enjoy the way gosh I can't I wrote his line down I can't find it right now, but he has some great line about uh what he's done uh how he's he's modified Christmas for every single place right and
0: every single date because not everybody ends up you know living through the Christmas cultural exercise that is the twenty fifth of december and i I love the that you know the filmmakers thought of that and incorporated those little nods that if you're not watching carefully, it could be um you know throwaway uh, lines but but i yeah. think it, it is a a, yeah. a a nice part of the message of unity that this is this is how we as a planet celebrate christmas and in this case we're going to look at it through the lens of the s1 and and steve
1: and efficiency but at least we're capturing it it was really special here it is. I festivized every single country of the world. You see this one, this one, all of them. He's like going through, showing like all the different things. I just, it's fantastic. It's good stuff.
0: Is this the first time you've ever heard "festivize"
1: as a as a verb? Yes, <laughs> yes. And that's. I mean, there are so many little things in here. The like these sorts of words that they throw around. And it just. It, I mean, all of that stuff is is reasons that i love the script so much like when they have operation christmas or santa claus is coming to town and you just i don't know there's there's things all through it that just uh really shine in the way that they chose to do that i i was looking for
0: uh festive uh, <laughs> festivization uh <laughs> festivization yeah i was trying to find like where else are have have we seen festivize used as a verb and i you know it's it's been thrown around but not as early as in this movie in fact the next one they released the team fortress two folks released a weapon originally named the gun metal and tough break festivizer uh and it it was um, a single use tool that allows the user to festivize either a decorated weapon or select few other weapons represented by a coil of christmas lights all festivized items share a roll of duct tape and what seems to be a stapler gun <laughs> so it allows you to to actually decorate your weapons in team fortress Two. the festivizer wow yeah okay. so there there, there are uh, other it has been used uh that is the top search when you look for festivize but you know there are there are others none that i have found that were older than 2011 so i think this is novel i love it me too it makes me want to use it we've been using it for the last 24 hours since we watched the movie we've been using festivize on each other (laughs) <laughs> like i'm gonna you know do you need to how would you festivize your breakfast kind of a thing like would you put some
1: colored sugar on it or a bow? well see you say that and and that instantly takes me back to which which cereal was it like I, it was probably um uh cap'n crunch released like a holiday version that you know, it was like berries, like Christmas colors, and it came with special frosting that you that you drizzle over the top of your breakfast cereal that looked like snow. And it's just like, yeah, you just turn it into just a giant bowl of sugar. Is well, really that's perfect. What, what happens? Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> is, that, is that what festivization yeah. really is? It's just sugar. It's sugar. It equals it's sugar. sugar. <laughs> of course <laughs> it is. Uh, oh, yeah. geez. Uh, Hey, I, I, you know, I want to, shifting things, I want to point out Harry Gregson Williams does the music here. Harry Gregson Williams. Yes, uh, quite, quite popular in the Aardman soundtracks, doing a lot of music for Aardman films, um, and somebody we've talked to on the speakeasy. On the speakeasy. And, uh, you know, I love the music. I actually think the music is great. And speaking of the music, like, having Bill Nye sing, make someone happy at the end just makes my heart happy. Like that is like, he has such a perfect voice for Christmas songs. And I'm not a fan of love. Actually, my wife watches it every year, but it's, I'm always like, yeah, it's fine. But he is the reason to watch that movie. And singing the Christmas song in that film, like, it's just like Bill Nye Christmas. Like he has become for me, like a Christmas voice. Like I just like, when I hear his voice singing a song, it's like, ah, Christmas.
0: Yeah, and, and the fact that, like, I don't think this was a new recording of it that they were using, right? I think this was the one off of the, like, the his original recording from 2001. I don't know. Which m- is m- makes it even better for me. Like, <laughs> the fact that he had already done it and that they used it is, is I think, really particularly delicious. All right. Yeah, I thought uh, it was for the film. But, yeah, it could be. No, no, no! It's not for the film. Uh, I should say he is has already. This is already a Christmas classic in his catalog.
1: <laughs> Weird. Mm. Love it. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Love it. And, you know, you you really just can't go wrong with with Bill Nye. You cannot go wrong with Bill Nye. But I have learned you have to actually type his name in when you search. Otherwise, you're searching for the science guy, Bill Nye. Little different. That's true. Little different. That's true. All right. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? Is that it?
0: I don't know. Did you have any other mentions of drip tray you wanted to try and drop in here or reindeer burgers or <laughs> Nazis?
1: That chihuahua needed a drip tray. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> there you go. Got it in there. <laughs> okay, everybody. Wow. Well, we will be right back. But first. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Sorry you Sorry, asked, everybody I delivered <laughs> <laughs> but first our credits <laughs> <laughs> hmm
0: The next reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Young Rich Pixies, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at the-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for our show. Thank you. Andy, sequels and remakes. Is there, is there, have I missed one? Is there a remake or a sequel of this movie?
1: Uh, God, I hope they don't remake it. But this is one of those things. It's like, I, I would love to go back to this world. I wish that they would do a sequel. I have never heard talk about a sequel coming out of this. Um, the only thing that I could find, other than like the tie-in storybooks, things like that, that obviously they they release with these sorts of movies... Is that they did release an iOS video game called Arthur Christmas Elf Run, and uh, that was it It was just a kind of a a phone that that came out on iOS and Android and was just a you know a free game you could deliver um, uh you were playing as delivery elves and you had to run quietly and quickly to deliver gifts and that was it uh I don't know it just didn't spur anything on, but you know maybe maybe we don't need it maybe this is all we need I think it's possible this is all we need i'm gonna I'm going to sit with that. This is fine. It's fine. You did fine. I'm okay with that. I am. Oh, I'm okay with that indeed.
0: How did it do at award
1: season though? It wasn't a big award film. It had 3 wins, 23 other nominations uh, at the BAFTAs. Uh, you know, BAFTA separates, they have kind of a best uh, or they have kind of the film categories and then they do uh the children's awards. And so it actually was nominated in the children's award for best feature film. This is interesting because of the children's award films that were nominated, the one that won was the Hunger Games. Okay. <laughs> Let's pick the one where children are murdering each other. That's the winner.
0: <laughs> What's funny is that I think wasn't Peter in that movie too? <laughs> 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 He's the elf.
1: <laughs> Jennifer oh.
0: Lawrence's love interest. Eee.
1: <clears throat> Jeez. Uh, and then also, the film was nominated for Best Animated Film, but it lost to Rango. And you know, I really, I love Rango, so I'm okay with that. At the Annie Awards, those are the big awards for animated films it won a voice acting in a feature production bill nye as grand santa then it had five other nominations it didn't win one of those was also voice acting acting in a feature production and that was for ashley jensen playing bryany again she is just my favorite but it's, it's bill nye i mean it's hard to go up against bill nye um, it was nominated for character design in a feature, but lost to Rango storyboarding in a feature production. I'd love to know kind of like what that means in context of the animation, but it was nominated for storyboarding lost to Winnie the Pooh and best writing lost to Rango best animated feature lost to Rango. So uh, yeah, Rango was carrying a lot of awards that year. That's interesting. I don't, I do you, I mean, you love Rango, but I haven't, I don't. I, love I feel like I Rango. don't think about Rango
0: at all uh, until it comes time for either some weird list on the Saturday matinee or you bring
1: it up. <laughs> I probably bring Rango up more than most people. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because my wife hates it so much. She, she hates characters that are designed to be ugly. Yeah. Or just not ugly, but, you know, just like not pleasing to look at. And they're, you know, it's like... The ugliest types of animals are the main characters in that film. And she's like, gosh, I have to look at like this weird lizard thing and all these strange, like, you know, hedgehog things. And it's not like the cute little hedgehog in uh, Over the Hedge or something. It's like, you know. Yeah. All right. Uh, How how did it do at the box office? Well, in our series of 10 films, this one by far had the biggest budget by a long shot. Uh, Smith had a budget of 100 million for this animated holiday film, which is 114 million in today's dollars. The film opened just like we did on November 11th, 2011. Look at that. Pete. What?
0: I did not even know that.
1: I know. 11, 11, 11. Ugh. I know. Just like us. That means you probably saw the movie.
0: And then immediately did a podcast with us. No,
1: no, 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 no. No, because it opened in the UK on that date. Oh, okay. And and I didn't fly to England to go see this opening day. Uh, It opened U.S. Thanksgiving weekend, November 23rd, 2011, opposite the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1, Happy Feet 2, The Muppets, and Hugo, along with limited releases of My Week with Marilyn and A Dangerous Method. The movie went on to earn $46.4 million domestically and $102.5 million internationally for a total gross of $169.8 million in today's dollars. That lands the film with an adjusted profit per finish minute of $575,000, the most expensive, but also the most financially successful in this series. That being said, the film that actually turned the biggest profit in this whole series was Zindagi debara earning back more than four times its budget. <laughs> it's-
0: fantastic yet another (laughs) lesson we have yet to learn from bollywood (laughs) uh well this was this was a treat (laughs) i don't know i don't know uh, on the percentage regret scale that i have for our conversation about this wonderful holiday movie (laughs) it's
1: probably high but i'm so glad we got it on our list because it is uh delightful I love it. This one is just an annual, annual favorite. And you know, it's just one of those, it's so easy to put on. And every time I put it on every year, I still find myself, um, like having forgotten little little tiny lines, things like that that you catch. It's like, oh, I totally forgot about that. Like just things that are zingers. Like when Mrs. Claus, like the thing that this time was just like, I've got to go read a, a, a treaty for Greenland or something <laughs> like that. I'm just like, what, what is she doing? Like this is just crazy. So uh, it's just great. Love it. Uh, we're going to be back uh, in a little bit with our
0: ratings and reviews over at Letterboxd.com. But first, here's a trailer for next week's movie. What is next week's movie? Is it another Ann Hui joint?
1: Yeah, we're we're getting back into our Ann Hui series, and so next week's movie is going to be "Song of the Exile." Song of the Exile.
0: Letterboxd, Andy. uh, I don't know. uh, You seem to love this movie an awful, awful lot. Does that mean it's a five star heart, or is it garbage?
1: I just went, when I watched it, I just, I went with my rating of what, what I had given it last time, which is four stars and a heart. And, you know, I could go up with this. Um, I, I don't know if I need to. I, I'm fine leaving it at four stars. If anything, you know, I'd raise it to half stars, say four and a half. Um, I'm fine leaving it four stars, though. I think I'll just, I'll leave it there for now and maybe down the road, I'll bump it again. I mean, I do watch it every year. So, so.
0: Yeah. I, I think it's funny. I, I'm. Uh, I think this was unrated when I watched it. I hadn't gotten it into Letterboxd, and so I I kind of landed on four stars, too. I don't know why. Uh, like, where where did the stars fall? I don't think I can really articulate that um, all that well. I really, really like this movie. So I it's four stars with a heart and a dose of regret that I can't <laughs> talk about
1: why. Well, you know, I think part of it for me is the, is the bit with Eva Longoria and that whole bit where they're tracking the UFO and stuff and they're, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, it's fine. I don't mind that part of the story. And I mean, the part with the guy in, I can't remember, Iowa or wherever the guy is who mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the, taking his gun, like that cracks me up and, and they think yeah. he's an alien or like all of that. I find funny, but just the part with like the whole Eva Longoria and that element, um you know, it just, it's not my favorite bit of the film
0: you know it's actually really funny that you bring that up because we we've talked a lot about this movie over the last hour and we have we we apart from mentioning that Eva Longoria's performance stands out in the movie we didn't really talk about the whole third act chase the aliens political Michigas that i i think i i struggle with i really do struggle and and as such i forget it (laughs) like i just put it out of my mind you're absolutely right I now feel confident in my four star (laughs) with a heart for everything leading up to political nonsense, which I just didn't need. I think this could very well have been a movie that doesn't include that at all, that it just is the internal family stuff and the race against time for the kids without having the giant
1: police stuff involved. Yeah, it's I mean, it still ends like and you, it's such a small part that that's why I'm like, it could be four and a half. I don't know why I feel like I'm just leaving it at four. Yeah, but like because the ending, I mean, I'm I'm in tears always that whole yeah. scene with the closet that you talked about. Oh, I'll be the candle. And geez, when when he's outside and the snow falls on him. four and a half, four and a half. And the little girl, the little girl comes out and sees him just that brief second before the squirrel hops out. Like I, it just like that gets my heart going. I mean, it's yep. such an incredible moment. Yeah, I'm going four and a half too. me, too. Four and a half. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's it. You said that's it. I'll be the candle, Andy.
0: I'll be yeah. the candle. You, there, you, the end, you be the candle. I've please. read I've been reading the script. <laughs> and so i read the, the last scene because the, this was the, I don't know, October 2009 script. Uh, and is this the
1: one with the drip tray still?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it does have this. And now that it's, I've been reading it since I watched the movie and I can't remember if there this set of lines is in at the end. So after the S one flies, uh, they've, they've delivered everything. And there's that wonderful moment with him, with Arthur, with a beard of snow and Gwen sees him. And then he goes, gets taken up into the air. Right. And the S one flies away. Mm hmm. Then it cuts to uh, a walkie-talkie crackles. Among the trees, soldiers in white full-protection suits comb the wreckage of the sleigh. Bits of ski, rain, sleigh bells, and a brass nameplate, Evie. A captain among the white suits throws back his headgear. Prime Minister, I have some serious news. We think it was Santa Claus. He looks at Charred Hat. And I think we may have killed him. (laughs) (laughs) Right, cut to... Interior, interior, number ten Downing Street. Day, the Prime Minister back to camera holds the phone. Pause, Captain, you're going to tell me that again, and this time you're going to say it was aliens. Credits. (laughs) Wow, make someone happy, (laughs) and it was the Jimmy Durante. It's credited "Make Someone Happy" by Jimmy Durante, not Bill Nye's version of it. Oh my god, that that was. I'm correct in thinking that wasn't actually in the movie, right? That's just so clear in my head. That is a darker dark, I think I think we killed Santa Claus <laughs> <laughs> we think it was Santa
1: Claus, and we think we may have killed him <laughs> Wow, wow so i I'm amazed that that made it that far to even be in a script that was released. <laughs> I know I know,
0: especially as everything else is is you know legit, and they do they do. Uh, the the final credits stuff is actually really sweet, you oh, know, in the that's it. written in the script. Uh but my goodness the that, that line is
1: is drip tray dark. <laughs> it's drip tray that was Peter dark. trying to get it back in there. Come on, we gotta get yeah. a little bit of this in here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, four and a half stars. Oh, uh, what did you think about it? We wanna know hop into the Show Talk channel over on Discord where we'll be talking about this movie this week. Happy holidays.
1: When the movie ends, our conversation begins. (laughs) Letterboxd giveth, Andrew. As letterboxd always doeth. (laughs) Okay. What do you
0: got? Let's see. Let's see if yours... Well, let's see which one lives up to Drip Tray.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, I'm going to stick with uh, James Shifrilis's, uh four-star review, who had this to say, this is the only kids movie I've ever seen that references the Cuban Missile Crisis. And that's how you know it's good. Yes, it is. Mm. Oh, so true. I have a
0: five-star from Will. <laughs> Watched this, <laughs> last watched this December 3rd, 2021, just this weekend, and says, uh, I watch this movie every year and it's my absolute favorite Christmas movie. And what if I said Bryony the Elf was my gay awakening? Then what? Happy Hanukkah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, I love thanks, that. Will. There was so another good. one. The Elf with the Eyebrow Piercing gave me the most iconic lesbian vibes. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> That was by Mills. So great. It's so good. <laughs> oh, dear. All right.
0: Thanks, Letterboxed.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. It's trying so hard not to laugh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I had to hold my breath through that whole
1: read. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Woo. Well, I gotta... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Sometimes. I don't know. I'm feeling a little slap happy today. Is that what we're seeing here? (laughs) (laughs) Something's going on. Oh, my God. All right.
0: I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM.
1: go to the nextreel.com/transistor and check it out
0: support our show and support your own show by going to the slash transistor start growing your podcast today